From a wide range of embroidery classes to talks and special events, Royal School of Needlework's International Summer School offers so much. Immerse yourself in the world of the RSN with its world-renowned tuition and treat yourself to this Festival of Stitch in July and August 2024. The Royal School of Needlework is offering four ways to get involved this year. You can join the International Summer School on-site at Hampton Court Palace and at the Royal School of Needlework Durham in the UK, as well as Lexington, Kentucky in the United States of America. There are also online classes available live so students can join in anywhere from around the world. There's a wonderful variety of techniques to explore for those who are starting out on their hand embroidery journey all the way through to advanced stitches. So whether you want to follow a kit-based design, explore your own creativity using your own materials in a more contemporary way, or focus on developing your personal design skills, there will be a class that appeals to you. The Royal School of Needlework International Summer School classes will provide experienced stitchers with an opportunity to engage in a longer or more advanced project while allowing those newer to the world of hand embroidery to try a shorter course to build and develop their skills. The full list of classes and more information about the Royal School of Needlework International Summer School is available at royal-needlework.org.uk with special offers for booking multiple classes and an early bird booking price available until the 29th of February 2024. Whether you're planning on attending in person, online, or a combination of the two, this is a fantastic opportunity to improve your stitching skills from one of the best schools in the world. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Needle Exchange. My name is Mr X Stitch. I am pleased to be inside your ears. This episode is the second part of our interview with Manya Goldman, a fantastic needlepoint artist whose portraits are just beautiful. In our first episode, we talked about how she started her process. In this second part of the interview, we're a bit more reflective, reflecting on how parenthood affects your creative path, reflecting on some of the wisdom that Manya learned in her career as an art lecturer, and obviously finding out what her favourite album, book and film are, among other things. I'm so glad to have met Manya. One of the things that strikes me is that she spent a long time making work and only recently started putting it back out on display, despite being well-versed in the artistic realm before she transitioned to becoming a psychotherapist. And, you know, I speak to people all the time who are doing work, pumping out the content on social, you know, trying to promote themselves. And Manya's not doing that. Manya makes her pieces. She's exhibited twice at the Royal Academy in the past two years. She's producing art straight out of the gate and yet doesn't need to promote it in the ways that she does, or certainly that's the feeling there. But it's quite nice to meet someone who's indulging in the slowness, who's making sure that the process is the thing that takes time. As she said in the first interview, you know, she doesn't want to finish making the pieces when it gets towards the end, such as the pleasure she derives from the process. And I think that's a really nice position to be in. I do feel sometimes that we all struggle to keep on top of things. You know, there is always a need to be able to make more and share more and market more and write more and promote yourself more. And it takes us away from the things that we love. You know, I have this irony where people say to me, you know, what are you stitching at the moment? And I sort of laugh because I don't have any time to do any stitching. 
I've got a Hanabas Needlepoint map of Amsterdam that's in my lounge and will soon be celebrating its 10th birthday and that's probably the only thing that I'm ever able to pick up at the moment in short bursts. For those of us who are trying to make a career out of our work, it can be a real struggle and it can be hard to portion out the time for the things that you need. You know, should you be focusing on marketing? Should you try and get your thousand true fans or should you just concentrate on making work and let the gods decide? I don't necessarily know what the answer is. I think it's right, you know, different answers for different people, but it's always a struggle. And I think it's important for all of us to make sure that we we live in the creative process as much as possible because that's where we can get our energy from as opposed to giving our our energy away anyway i hope you enjoy the second part of our interview with mania i will be back next week with another interview with a different textile person obviously if you want to get in touch with me you can email hello at needle without the e dot exchange or just ping me, you know, on social. You know where to find me. I'm Mr. X Stitch all over the place. So thanks for being here. Enjoy the show. I'll see you next week. Because your work is reflective and you're looking back at moments, like you say, maybe moments that you've reframed through your own process, but you then spend a lot of time reflecting on those moments as you're making the pieces. Have there been any times when, say, for instance, with streamers, for the sake of argument, when your opinion or your feelings about it have evolved as you've gone through the process of making the work? Well, I'd say every time it, they evolve. I think because you're looking, you're staring at this image for months. Oh, yeah, People don't know how long we're talking about. We're talking up to, it can take me six months for some of them because of everything else mm. going on in my life. So that's a long time of mm. looking. So, yes, I think about the ideas, you know. When I begin something, I have a notion of what the ideas are about. But as I did streamers, I began to realise, oh, gosh, that looks like a, that's an umbilical cord, you know. And I sort of, you know, so I, I started to, you know, I chose a saturated red because I wanted the sense of blood in there, you know. And so that wasn't there at the beginning, but it was there by the yeah. end. I did some rough maths based on sliding and the dimensions that you'd said it was, and I did it on a 14 count. And now, because you said it's 28 count, I'm estimating approximately 72,000 stitches in that thing, which is uh, not bad. <laughs> Luckily, I'm not mathematical at all. And so I... <laughs> I can't find that daunting because I can't even mm. think about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Numbers like that. So then while I was thinking about that, I was also coming across, have you heard of semantic satiation? Which is that thing where if you look at a word for long enough, the word starts to become quite abstract. Because it turns out, I got a bit from a, a science website, it says our brains translate words into ideas. And so when you repeat a word, the brain just focuses on the sound and not the meaning, which is why you start to deconstruct a word. And it just becomes a load of like, well, it says gibberish for words or whatever. But but I sort of wonder with the length of time that you go through, whether there are small cycles of that as well, where the piece you're working on becomes abstract objects and then returns to being a bigger piece or any kind of flow like that. Oh, totally. Because as I'm you know, trying to describe it, how it comes into being, there are many moments when it's completely abstract. And actually, I feel like I don't even know where I am. You know, I, it, it can... 
Well, interesting, the, the one I'm doing now is a sort of about a drowning, but I can feel like I'm drowning in it. I can't, I don't know where I am. Absolutely. It's, that's why I, I like, I, you know, I use the word haunting. Things come in and out as I'm working. Mm. Yeah. When you were a lecturer, so right at the start of the conversation, you said about the value of mistakes, which is something that you wouldn't necessarily teach your students. I wondered what the kind of core things you used to teach your students were. If we've got any people listening now who were like students of art and those kind of things, are there any, are there pearls of wisdom that you taught? And do those pearls of wisdom still stand up given your experiences now? Well, let me just get that straight about the mistakes. I absolutely have always felt mistakes are really important for making work. What I meant was I would, you know, always want to see development of ideas and see it, you know, actually, you know, in a sketchbook. I'd want to see how, you know, people have teased through their ideas. And what I'm saying is it's all compacted in all in the work. Pearls of wisdom. I just, you know, I think most of us need someone else to listen to us. And so the way to improve your work is go and talk to someone and make sure, you know, if they can listen to you, if you can hear yourself speaking to them, you'll work out your ideas. If you're stuck, go and talk to someone, and but someone who will really listen to you, not someone who will impose ideas onto you. Hmm, that's really interesting, isn't it? Yeah, find people. There's a lot of schools of thought that say, you know, if you want to grow in a certain direction, you need to talk with people who are further down that route. Do you think that's a fair thing to say? I don't know. You have to be careful with that. When I think of the number of lecturers that I used to teach, and I, I thought they just wanted clones. Choose your people carefully. Yeah. I don't know if it's always, it isn't necessarily another artist or maker. It can be, you know, because we often, we know, don't we, the next thing. We just need to listen carefully enough to know what to do next. The ideas do creep around, don't they? There's a certain turning point in the work you're currently doing, at which point your brain or whatever inspiration it is starts to go, all right, now, you know, let's plug out some other ideas. Yeah, that's an interesting one. I, I was thinking, because, you know, one of the questions is, you know, about what to do when you're blocked, you know, when you can't work. And I think quite often, and I definitely, I mean, before I came back to working, I thought I was, you know, I'd sort of felt stuck. And what I realized was that I, you know, there was this huge charge behind it, you know, this, because of the need to, to make work was so much that I couldn't be sort of quiet enough to just listen to what the kind of next step would be. Mm. So mm. quite often, actually, you do know what to do next. It's just you're trying to jump. You're trying to go 10 steps ahead of yourself. And actually, all you've got to do is, you know, pick up that needle. Or... Do you think that's where the patterns sort of, you know, sometimes you've kind of got to fake it until you make it. You've got to be in a state of flow, even if it's not a flow you mean, but at least you're in a state of flow so that the ideas can flow. I don't know about you, but quite often, you know, ideas arrive. I feel like... I discover them as if they were there already. And so I have to kind of be either doing the thing or doing other things enough for my brain to calm down enough for it to get in there. So I'll often, I'll be walking the dog or 
It's not when I'm trying really hard to do this important thing. It's when I'm, I mean, one of the things I used to, actually, this is a point about, sorry, I'm jumping around a bit, but I was thinking about the advice. For this work, when I used to paint, I used to do lots of different pieces of work. That was the way I found that I could keep the flow going. But with this work, I found, so I keep, I find, you know, I'm talking about quietness a lot, but I have to just let the thing come to me and then I have to pursue it to its end. I can't, I would, I tried to make lots of pieces of work and then I found I couldn't get back to them. I couldn't actually, it was a struggle to go back and finish them. And so now I make a piece of work and I just do it to the end. And But what happened, I mean, about the last quarter of it, which is happening to me at the moment when I'm making a piece of work, I start mulling mm-hmm. and, and I start looking at other things. So I suppose that is the equivalent, isn't it, of just, you know, it's beginning to arrive it's like do it, when you're doing an ultra marathon, you're like in the final quarter of it, and now you're going. So I wonder how many toenails I am going to lose. <laughs> it's kind of that sort of thing. I don't know what I'll do next. Uh, yeah, because I'm always doing marathons, so I, I can relate to that. <laughs> do you? But... No, <laughs> I did one. I didn't. I went so slowly. I didn't lose any toenails or anything. But, but no. I think. But that's the interesting point, isn't it? There's obviously a part of your brain that then goes right. You know, I know that I'm not going to fail on this project because. And when you make yours, do you already have you already sort of decided the dimensions? Because they're big pieces. They take time. If you when you say I have to follow this thing through to the end, is the end pretty obvious at the start? Well, as we said, they do change as I go along, or I find different things in them. But the composition is basically, I have worked out, you know, I knew with the sliding one, you know, I knew it's going to have a lot above it. Exactly how much above it, I'm not sure, but I knew the wanting has actually, it hasn't been, re- you didn't reproduce it with the, the left hand, has quite a space in it. It was very deliberately a sort of much more filmic dimension and i knew that it would be like that but exactly that i i wasn't sure so yeah you see that quite a lot in television programs don't you it's almost like it's a bit of a trend it always used to be you know if if someone was being interviewed they had to be facing you know across the screen and then there was this shift to having it the other way and to almost providing this extra space you know so someone it might be behind them and stuff and and it like you say with some of your work you do you just put all this extra space in that other people go what are you doing that for you're just giving yourself a ton more work but it's a ton more storytelling i guess isn't it it's all part of the scene it's really part of it i mean as i said I'm sometimes, I'm creating, well, I'm hoping to create air. Hmm. That's not nothing. And I think it's interesting as well, because you said about, you know, when you were painting, you could do lots of different versions. And I guess because there's such an immediacy, whereas it's not like you can try out six different ideas of the same concept here. And you do have to be fairly sure. Yeah. I mean, I have to, when I start something, I have to really know. There are, I mean, I do discard. Sometimes I'm working at the beginning and I think, I don't want to be with you anymore. You know, that I can't last out, you know, another three months. That's not going to work. And with others, I get a sense, no, I, I really want to be around this for the next... Usually those are the ones that work out, you know. And is it then 
because sometimes I think about like creative burnout for people who do these things, but I get a sense that you've got enough other things going on that sort of balance that out. So you never get too weary of just putting it, you know, it's not like you set yourselves deadlines you have to meet for this work or anything. No, it's best to not have a deadline because then, as I say, you know, it's got to be about now. It can't be that feeling of trying to get somewhere. I really don't have burnout. I suppose what's different with me, you know, I'm quite old now and I feel like I've got not a lot of time. You know, I've got to get on with it. I'm in a hurry. I've got to, I've, as you say, there's a lot else going on and there's a lot else that's been going on. So I don't want to say it's wasted time, but I do have that feeling like, okay, that's not, I think I wasted a lot of worry and concern about the wrong things I think when I was younger and now and sort of concern about what people would think of me or the work you know and the thing is I have to say now this is me this is what I can do you know and I'm doing it because it means a lot to me and it means a lot if I connect to other people and I can't try and be someone else that you know this is what I can do. That's the wisdom, isn't it? That's one of those pearls is just believe in yourself. And I was going to say a very rude way of putting it, but don't hold sway with what other people think if you can help it. You know, it's that combination, isn't it? I say on the one hand, really listen to people and listen to yourself. But, and you know, it's that difference, isn't it? Wanting to connect with people is not the same as wanting to be seen to be something by people. Yeah, it's an output rather than a sort of waiting. Yeah, it's quite a hard one. I think it does come with age as well. I think that kind of fearlessness or that sort of nonchalant. I always say to people like who are just about to turn 40, I'm like, you're going to love it because you're going to stop giving a shit about an awful lot of things and it's going to be great, you know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like, I absolutely wasted a lot of thought on things that I shouldn't have. But I guess that's part of the thing, isn't it? I mean, it's not like those are regrettable things. You put, you wouldn't be making the work you weren't if you hadn't gone down that route, I guess, of feeling it out. Yeah, I mean, that is what's really precious about kind of what I feel like what's going on at the moment is a sort of coming together of of what matters to me, you know, and, you know, my that the woman behind, you know, that picture of the, my mother, she actually died 30 years ago, you know, and it's, you know, without her doing that, a lot of other things wouldn't have happened. And my loss of her and longing to connect with her again creates things, you know, that wouldn't have, you know, I'm not saying, obviously I'd prefer to have not gone, but all those things build for a life, don't they? And build depth into one's work. Yeah, and I guess now that you get the right perspective, don't you? Because it's such a beautiful photo and you can see that there's a real, like, contentment from your mum in that picture. And I don't think there's only a certain point when you know that's the picture that you want to make, right? Because of time healing wounds and your own personal experiences and what you want to kind of say about motherhood in that kind of thing. So I guess it comes at the right time. Yeah, I mean, it's... It's important to say that they're incredibly personal, you know, I'm talking about my own mother, but they are supposed to be so beyond that. You know, I want people to relate to it. So essentially, I mean, I, I don't know how you feel as a father, but you sort of flip as a mum. You're both child and mum, child and mum. You're kind of both sides of this thing. And I, that's, you know, what I was really thinking about when I was making that work, how extraordinary it is. 
to evoke my mother and I become child when I'm with my own children. Yeah, I had a weird revelation recently. So my parents split up when I was eight, and I have a fine relationship with both sets of them, but I didn't live with my dad for quite a long time, and he subsequently gone on to have another family. So I've, all, I've got all this psychodrama, which I'm not going to go into now, in my head. He and my stepmom came and visited a little while ago, and they hung out with the girls, and he messaged me a couple of days later and just said that I should be really proud of them. And it kind of made me cry. It, like, it hit me more emotionally than I expected, and sometimes I think that actually... Maybe for him, that's one of the best validations because the way his children raise their children goes to show what kind of people they've become. I'm filling up a bit now, if I'm honest. It's quite a thing. I've just, it's dreadful being a parent because it's made me like emotionally open. Anytime I see fathers and children connecting on tele programs now, I'm generally in bits. It's not, it's not good. But I love it. I love it. I'm going to go on to some more lightweight questions now. Hopefully you got these ones in advance and you've had time to prepare. So do you have a favorite album? I don't really have one, but there's one that I would mention now because it would explain me, which is Passa Passa by Miriam McCabe. Okay. Now she's anyone who, she's a South African artist who, obviously she's, she's died now, but she, that music is the background to my childhood. It absolutely sums up the kind of, yeah, the world, the kind of, that I breathe, you know, Hugh Maskeller or whatever. But that music, that kind of South African beat is absolutely the amazing musicality South Africans have is the, you know, the soundtrack to my life. But from what you've said, you tend to have quietness when you work these days. I, yes, when I'm working, it depends what I'm doing, actually. So if there's, I will have different kinds of music for different states. And then if I've got, you know, a marathon of work of something quite, you know, where I have to sort of get my head down, I might listen to a podcast or audible book or whatever. How do you have a favorite podcast? I've sort of slotted that one in now because people keep mentioning them. Other than needle exchange is what I'm supposed to say. Do you have a favorite podcast? Oh, it's been, you know, I've had phases where, it, you know, it'd be, I don't know, political podcasts and I'd be listening because I'm intently <laughs> listening to what's going on in the world. I'm as likely to listen to actually food ones. I really like, I, I love cooking. So, you know, listening to Tommy Banks talking about, you know, seasoned and he'll, he'll talk about food. It's weird, actually, because I like cooking. I've never listened to a food podcast. I wonder why that is. I listen to The Rest is Politics quite a lot when I'm walking the dog and then normally come back a little bit grumpy. I mean, I really love it. I do really love it. But anytime I listen to a podcast about politics, I'm always just like, and I used to do that when I was running as well because I did, I trained for a marathon once and I did the marathon, I should say. And in the end, I worked out that listening to like the Desert Island Disc podcast was the perfect thing because it was inspiring and it had a bit of music but when i would listen to like some podcast about politics it would just slow me down and i just get in a mood and it was like really bad vibes so yeah do you have a favorite book overall i don't have a favorite book but if you ask me the question right now i recently read demon copperhead by barbara kingsolver which is absolutely brilliant what genre is that well she's writing i mean she's 
I mean, she's written a lot of novels. This one, it's set in, it's Tennessee or whatever. It's about the opioid crisis in, in the States. But it's actually parallel, it, the Dickens, it's Copperfield. So it's sort of all the time that you're reading it, you're sort of wondering how it re- relates to the Dickens. But, you know, I was thinking about why I loved it so much. And I think it's sort of, again, it's like my work. It appearing to be about something that's very particular to these people, but it's, it's actually, to, I mean, you could almost say, I mean, it's very political that it's about, you know, the climate, and yet it's about people's lives, and it's so layered. It's brilliant. So that it's a huge book, and it it's harrowing, but it talks about. You see, you think I like to suffer, <laughs> but it it's quite funny as well. I mean, it it's got a great voice to it. But yeah, I like things that are layered like that. My wife and I have recently instigated successfully, I should say, a no phones in the bedroom policy. So we plug them in in my office and that has then pivoted to a starting to read books again. And for the longest time, I've always been like business books or graphic novels. But now I'm going, I'm going to try and read fiction. And it's quite hard to know where to turn because I'm so unpracticed at it. So a lot of the time, whenever I'm asking people on here, I'm just writing these down and going having a look at them. I recently read one called The Trees by a man called Percival Everett, which was set in South of America. And it's kind of, it's a bit of a horror. And it's to do with sort of like the consequences of racial action. And at the same time, it's got these really weird, dark humor moments at the same time, you know, and that was a really enjoyable read. Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of an offshoot of that. Yeah. But it's really well done. Like he's a really excellent author for two of his books. But yeah, I never really know where to turn. So did you say it was a big book? Is it going to make my arms tired? To lift it above my head when I'm reading. <laughs> but it sounds good. I'm always up for a challenge. Get the Kindle version, I suppose, would be there. And then, do you have a favourite film? Babette's Feast. Because? Because I first saw it when I was... Because I saw it recently, basically. I watched it again because I remembered loving it so much when I was... I must have been, like, 20s when I first saw it. And it's really interesting to re-watch now my age, it, there's something really interesting about that. Because it's almost like, it's not that it's a different film, but my God, a different perspective. And it's a film that when, I mean, it, it's about a feast. It's about an amazing cook who's, if you don't know the film, it's a bit complicated to talk about. But anyway, you know, she's putting on, she puts on this feast, but it, it's also, it's about redemption and it, there is a speech that's in this meal by when at the beginning of the film he's a young officer and he chooses his career rather than love. He wants to get somewhere in the world. And he's saying, as he's this girl is now an older woman and she's sitting there at this meal, and they realize that they're still connected. It didn't really matter that he didn't kind of have a life with her but he is connected to her and he's saying you know life is merciful I actually I had he says something like I I got what I chose and I've got I've also received what I haven't chosen and there's something so beautiful about it and I think you know I think when I I watched the film when I was 28 or 9 I thought you, you know, why didn't you choose that I was, you know, wanted the romance? But at this age, I kind of can see that 
like I was saying, there were so many silly things that I thought about that mattered when I was younger. And then you kind of reach, you're older and you realize that connecting with someone is so important that making your way in the world, you know, it's all right, but it doesn't matter as much as this beautiful meal that's happened and coming together to celebrate. And, you know, I, because I love cooking, I always loved the film. There we are. That was. I guess we make a way in the world regardless of our intention, don't we? We make a way. and There's so much bodging that goes on. But when you're younger, you're sort of trying to choose and thinking it all, it all matters so much. And in a sense, it does. But like my work, it just sort of builds, doesn't it? And eventually you kind of get somewhere. Yeah. And sometimes if you're lucky, you get the chance to stop and look backwards and realise that you made the right moves no matter how bodgy they seemed. Well, you make them right because those are the ones you made. Mm, yeah, because I was thinking about something you said before about like the decisions we make, and I now I get to a point sometimes where I can have an idea about a thing. But for instance, when I started having the idea about doing this podcast, I got like this really deep feeling of going, "Yeah, that's a really like that's a really great fit," as opposed to other ideas where you're like, "It seems like a good idea, but I'm going to have to like." stretch in a different direction to find it sometimes you get those ideas and it's like they just slide in to you and you go ah nicely done there I mean, <laughs> yeah. I mean the proof of my idea will be in the pudding but so far I seem, to, I seem to be doing all right really if people would like to enjoy your work where best can they find you at the moment it's on instagram that's where to find me i'll put links in the show notes i'm sure I feel sad about it. I just like, because in one way, I do need to get it out into real life because photographs, I don't know if you find this, but they do not do justice to textile work. You know, it's very hard to get the real presence of the work. And the best I can do is the photographs that I'm, that are on. Yeah, there's a, there's an artist called Pear Fager and he reproduces video games in, sort of needlepoint but uses various types of long stitches and i remember saying to him with his work you need to see the detail shots you're not going to get to see them in real life because he's in, not in the uk for the sake of argument i think he's in sweden but don't quote me so the detail shots are the thing and i think that probably holds true with your work as well is that you can see your pieces on instagram but you could do worse than doing you know sometimes when people do like nine pictures on the grid and that makes the totality of it. Because I think, as you said, with the, your use of colour and your choices of tones and the way you do, you have this like tonal quality across the whole piece. Sometimes I think there couldn't be enough detailed shots of your work for people. Do you think there's a magnum opus in the back of your mind or are you very much just taking the ideas as they come? I, I'm living with uncertainty. I don't know. That's good. Well, I'm glad you're putting it back out there again. It's been a total pleasure to kind of discover you all of a sudden and then to kind of fall in love with the stuff. It's been great. Thank you. It's great to connect with people. It's Like I say, it gives me an excuse to go back to the studio and work. Uh, Manya, thanks for having a needle exchange with me. Thank you so much. Thanks for joining me on another needle exchange i hope you enjoyed the show i'd love to hear from you so feel free to email hello at needle.exchange that's n-w-e-d-l dot exchange with any thoughts comments or feedback and if you want to keep up with all the news sign up to the needle exchange mailing list at bit.ly bit.ly forward slash needle exchange see you next time